1: Welcome to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. In this podcast, Krishnadas shares his warm-hearted and down-to-earth path to the divine. If you are interested in supporting Das's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com slash KD.
2: Okay, so good evening everyone. And tonight, um, KD, Das is here with me from uh, his uh, home in upstate New York, and uh, and we're um, going to talk about devotion in our two traditions. Um and sort of look at that topic together with you, um, which is a major a major topic in, in, in both lineages. So um, I'm going to ask K.D. to start first and just talk a little bit about devotion and his uh, relationship to that as part of his spiritual practice. Okay, K.D.
1: You know, devotion is not something necessarily spiritual. It's part of life. It's love. It's falling in love uh, in a way that you never fell in love before. Because when when we're talking about devotion, it means you fall in love with either a being or a feeling or an idea that transcends your usual state of mind and transcends the way we usually think about ourselves. And just like falling in love with a person, it's not something that you can manipulate or coerce into happening. It's a, it's a natural, spontaneous outpouring and opening of the heart as certain conditions arise. One of those conditions might mean, like when I met my guru, uh, which by the way was before I met him physically, I first felt him, uh, in America before I went to India. And I just absolutely connected to this being. And there was no doubt about the connection. It was, it was a, a kind of a feeling that I never had before. Uh, it was a, a, a love. It was so deep and so strong. And it transcended any kind of regular daily kind of business type relationships that we have with other human beings. It was just love. There was nothing else there. And it was such a joy and such a an absolute relief that it I found that it existed in the world. So don't think of it as something, you know, that's otherworldly and and, and Devotion is is our is part of our nature. We love. We love to be involved. We love to connect. And this is the deepest connection that a that heart can make, that a person can make is this connection into this deep devotion and love. Unconditional love. You know, later when I met my guru physically, it was the same. He loved us as we are. He didn't he didn't there was no carrot held out like okay if you do this then i'll love you more there was nothing like that the love was immediate complete and intense right in that moment and it never changed that feeling that presence never changed to this day it's never changed what changes is my ability to pay attention to it but it's always here that love is always here and, and it's a quality of our own true being, our own true nature.
2: Great, thank you. That's um, We'll be talking more about the specific relationships to the, to the teacher and the guru principle. Um, so what I think one thing that KD and I have in common as, as kind of uh, human beings is that we both had a teacher, or whatever you, guru or whatever you want to call it, who was a kind of central, seminal force in us in our approach to developing ourselves, and um, you know, um, in the Buddhist tradition, I just wanted to kind of frame it a, a little bit to give everybody some reference point because um, in 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 the Buddhist tradition, devotion is an important element at a certain level of. Of practice, really. And it's really broken down into kind of three stages of, of the path, which correspond to the three turnings of the wheel by the Buddha. And uh, we've talked about this quite a bit, and I can refer some of you to these uh, talks later on. But the <clears throat> the teacher or the principle of, you know, developing oneself, really, manifests kind of a different um, um, stages, in a way, of uh, willingness to kind of go on to that journey, and in the first stage, the the teacher manifests in the Buddhist tradition as what's called a preceptor or an elder, and that corresponds to the Hinayana teachings, uh, the kind of narrower path of individual liberation. So that teacher is not really; they don't talk much about devotion in that in that uh, in that type of teaching. Um, that that preceptor will be te- uh, you know treated with respect. Uh, with the proper appreciation as an elder, somebody who's sort of walked on the same journey that one has. Not necessarily you know, thought of as a you know, completely enlightened being, uh, um, but uh, you know, uh, giving you a, a lot more information than you had. And, and the main thing that you're developing at that point is insight, some kind of precision and clarity and insight about your situation, your predicament, if you will. So then, naturally evolving, when the uh, when one's own relationship to one's world is progressing, um, there's a more of an opening, opening of the heart, sort of beginning what K.D. is talking about here, and you know he has this song called the uh, album called "Heart as Wide as the World," which is really corresponds to the Bodhisattva Yana or the Mahayana path in Buddhism, where it's just not viewed as sufficient to just sort of gobble up one's own. Uh, enlightenment, but you're working for the benefit of all all beings, all sentient beings. And you take vows to that effect, and even at that stage, the teacher is manifesting as a kind of um, friend or mentor figure, and it's called the Kalyanamitra, or spiritual friend, um, very special kind of friend. Somebody who has um, is quite worthy of respect and has accomplished quite a lot is also not necessarily considered at that point a completely, you know, complete master, or enlightened, enlightened teacher. Um, and but that teacher begins to mind your business in an interesting way, mm-hmm. and they pay. You know, all of a sudden, you know, it's you. You, you can't really hide out uh, in, in a certain way. That mm-hmm. that, that teacher is starting to have an eye, what they call an eye level relationship with you, and you. Um, it, it can it can be tremendously inspiring, and and it be, the beginning of a little claustrophobic, uh, also at the same time. So that's the second stage, and then in the third stage, which is where I think our traditions are. Uh, you know, and I've had this conversation with quite a few people. I think they're more similar than most people really want to admit. Hmm. Um, the the, the uh, Vajrayana tradition or tantric tradition of Buddhism, which also uh, other uh, Hindu tradition has a tantric tr- tradition as as well, is considered to be the teacher manifests as a guru at, or master, and in that and that is that's a relationship that's earned. It's not like a given, just the way Katie said it's not something you can crank up or generate or fabricate. But the teacher is viewed as an extremely special uh, focal point for your whole life and practice because they have accomplished what it is that you would like to accomplish. They have, they have achieved that. So even in the sort of triple refuge of Buddhism, the, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, when you enter the Vajrayana teachings or the Tantric teachings, the guru is the fourth refuge, the teacher is the fourth refuge, and is considered higher than the Buddha. Um, In terms of this is actually somebody you're going to get to meet and work with one-to-one and and actually make physical contact with it, which is never going to happen. Most of what you learn about the Buddha is is your imagination (laughs) 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 or what somebody told you. But there's a guru is like, you know, this person who's completely uh, bonded, you know, with some kind of very, very powerful relationship to their own state of mind and seems to have awesome kind of ability to, to penetrate into yours. And uh, you could say it becomes completely loving and completely claustrophobic at that point at the same time. So I just wanted to frame it that way because in the Buddhist tradition we don't always talk about guru, um, but in the in the Vajrayana aspect of what we do. So um, hopefully that clarifies this for, for some people. So maybe I'm going to ask KD. You know, just in specific, he he said that you know he started with um, the sort of general principle of. of, of De- devotion and love is a sort of open-hearted kind of feeling, which he found was true. And then he did meet his his teacher, sort of flowering out of that. So I just wanted to ask you to talk about that a little bit.
1: Well, uh, I felt I'm, when I met Ramdas here in America in 1968 or nine. Uh, that's when I immediately felt Maharaji's presence. I didn't know that it was that at first. I thought it was Ramdas. It was very interesting, but over then I spent time with Ramdas, and I began to understand that it was coming through him, and it was he was very clear about that. It just and so then what was coming through him? Well, then it turned out to be Maharaji Nimkaroli Baba. So then after some time, I about a year and a half, I decided that I needed to go to India to be with Maharaji. I, I didn't wanna. Uh, that's what I wanted to do. So so I went and. We don't have time to go into all the details, but walking in the room where he was sitting was so amazing, partially because it it felt, because I recognized, well, I've been feeling him all this time before meeting him physically. A very uh, extraordinary feeling. Was it
2: almost precognitive? Did you have that kind of deja vu? No, it was not
1: deja vu. It was right here. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. This I know. This I walked mm-hmm. in the room. There he is. Mm-hmm. I, know this. This mm-hmm. is I know this. This is I know this. I've been feeling this. I've been living in this loving uh, awareness uh, for for mm-hmm. since me having met Ramdas. Mm-hmm. So it was just very interesting. And, and of course, my problem is that I got completely attached to him emotionally, mm-hmm. and uh, which you can't. It's actually part of the process. You know, it's not, it's something you have to deal with because as human beings, we have all these emotions. So what happened is all my emotions got centered on him. Mm. I wasn't involved with any relationships uh, with women in any way. I was only centered on him. when he left the body, it was blistering. It was Mm. brutal uh, because everything that I wanted Was I only wanted to be with him? That's all I wanted to be with. And because of my attachment to his physical body, when that wasn't there, I thought this is no longer possible. I've I've lost my only chance to be happy. And then, but it took many, 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 many years for me to begin to allow myself to look inside for that love, which is the real guru, the true guru. Lives inside as who you really are, not as somebody else. And so, it w- took me a lot, a lot of suffering before I finally ha- had enough and said, "Okay, I've got to, i got to look inside, or this is all over." Mm. And that's actually when I started chanting, because I, re- I had this epiphany uh, in my room where I recognized if I did not chant with people, I would never reconnect to that presence, and I would never be able to. Uh, remove the dark shadows from my own heart. It was the only thing I had to do, the only thing I could do to help myself. So could you draw a line
2: through those, you sort of isolated a couple of different experiences. One is being with the guru. Mm -hmm. One is finding that internal kind of Geiger counter of Mm -hmm. love and and openness within oneself Mm -hmm. and the practice of chanting, which you do very, very regularly. Yeah. So, yeah, sure. could you, in terms of devotion, how do those three tie together? What's the connection? You know,
1: we're, we're lazy. We like to, to fall in love with people outside of us, mm-hmm. who we think are outside of us, other human beings. And we want them to give us the love that we're looking for. Mm. And uh, this goes for gurus and for how we see gurus, not the way gurus see us, but how we see teachers and gurus. We want them to give us love, to pat us on the head and make us feel like good little boys and girls. So you just have to get over that, you know, because sooner or later, everything that's manifested disappears. And what doesn't disappear is this presence that you finally contact through this love, the loving feeling. If you think it's attached to a a person or a thing, it's going to go. So you have to, it's a process of first... Putting all your eggs in one basket and then having them crushed. (laughs) (laughs) Having some big elephants sit on them. Uh, And then you have to find all those eggs inside of you. You realize that that, Uh. those weren't the real eggs. (laughs) (laughs) You see all those eggs just (laughs) crushed.
2: (laughs) That's what it was like. This is going to (laughs) be friends out there. This is the, the, the deal here. You heard it here first. Put all your eggs in one basket, and then have it crushed, and then find out the real eggs are inside of you. This is that,
1: that's the process. Good with stuff devotion. here. Yeah. Friends, yeah. And it's not so different in in Tibetan no. teachings. You you visualize yeah. this divine being, mm-hmm. and then <laughs> it disappears, mm. and you find it inside of you. Mm. I mean, it's a similar mm. process. Yeah. So one more thing. Yeah. The, thing about, the other thing about devotion is that there's an element of trust mm. in this. Mm-hmm. The feeling with Maharaji, for instance, was one of absolute trust. I felt that he knew everything, that he was absolutely beyond any fear or, or clinging or longing or desire, and that he was totally present and that he loved me in a way that I could never imagine having been loved, and that there was a trust in that. My heart trusted it. I don't know. I, it's very hard to trust other people when we keep getting betrayed and getting hurt and getting beaten up. And our childhood go. We go through all this these traumas with our parents, and in our lives. So even though we want things from other people, we hardly trust them enough to really allow mm. a flow to happen. Mm-hmm. But with real guru, they have the ability to show you what it is, to, 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 to love you in a way that washes away all your fears and all your clingings and your hang-ups and allows you to connect in a real way.
2: Mm. So just just to you know somewhat compare notes on on that I think um, the th- the thing that Katie and I really have in common is we met our teacher and it was a kind of like um, some kind of level of clarity or certainty that this is this was going to be the vehicle for us for this this lifetime. So I met Trungpa Rinpoche, um when I was living in Boston. It's also ironically it's, it was about the same time we yeah, were sort of in parallel universes and a lot of the same players have yeah. have shown up over these last 40 years and you know with so there was something in the wind you know you could say yeah. at that point but I didn't have to go to India because Trunk came to the United States so the karma the winds of karma took care of that and I didn't even have to leave this the town I was living in which was Boston at the time and going to the Berkeley College of Music uh-huh. at the time and I was studying yoga at the time. Those of you who know me may not believe that, but it's true. I, I used to be <laughs> able to do full lotus in a headstand, ladies and gentlemen, ah. in my in that body. Yeah, so, to. so um, you know, uh, the owner of the yoga studio invited Trungpa Rinpoche to come to give a talk, and he gave a talk called "Work, Sex, and Money," which is now the, a book that he has out from those from those talks. So. Um, Pretty much covers everything. Well, no, it doesn't cover... I always say there's a fourth one, which is, um, you know... Well, no, that, it, it, it does cover everything. Pretty much covers yeah, everything, work, everything on, that you yeah. want in the world. Because you know? it's relationships yeah. is meant by... You know, sex is not just sex, but relationships and so forth. So, um, and he was... Interestingly enough, I felt some kind of tingle in the force. You know, there's mm-hmm. that feeling of like, well, this, is, this could be something here. Mm-hmm. But interestingly enough, the first night the talk he gave was very spacious and kind of a little bit flat and boring. Mm. It, and in, in a way it was reflective back to me and all my expectations. Cause I was looking for some kind of charge at that time in my life. Mm. And so it was a very sort of, um, a kind of grounded in a way. And he also came in in a business suit, which <laughs> shocked me, you know, yeah, I mean, I yeah. thought he's going to come in in the yeah. robes and in the whole Tibetan thing. And he spoke yeah. Oxonian English. He'd, he'd been in England for years. And, um, didn't seem at all interested in jazzing anybody up or conning anybody or presenting any kind of drama, uh, you know, zap kind of thing. And from there, I, when I was walking home that night, I felt like I kind of started laughing. Actually, I remember walking down the street because I felt like, you know, up until that point I had been pretty dupable. And, and, and I just thought, well, I, I met the object of my kind of Tibetan fantasy and it was kind of ordinary. In, in, in the best possible sense hmm. but then I, I want to and I'm gonna you know pass this back to Katie as as there's an intuitive ground to that kind of relationship and when people ask how do I find a guru hmm. I don't know if you can say uh, you the answer to that it's just like uh, uh, there's an intuitive space that you have to enter and then you already have found it you know in a way it'll take it'll take you where you need to go but for me it was like I I thought about him and then you know i sort of registered among all the other experiences i had and then i went to um play guitar on cape cod for the summer and had a dream about him that was so vivid and so lucid that i went the next morning and i told the two girls i was i was in a beautiful house in cape cod and just had to play a couple of gigs a night and um you know i went and told the girls i had to leave and I said, I've got to go. Why and, didn't you call me? <laughs> <laughs> and KD, I called KD and he went over and did the gig. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I went to see Rinpoche. So I think there's a kind of, um, and even to this day, even though my teacher's been dead for 25 years, there's a certain kind of a mind space, a very intuitive space, uh, which there's a very powerful connection with, with the feeling of his energy in, in a slightly more abstract sense than maybe somebody just being there and talking and, and doing stuff. And so I, I want to ask KD to talk a little bit about that inner space of it, but also a complete affection that these great teachers seem to have. They're very magnetic and able to magnetize you in ordinary ways. So people, in a sense, as he was saying, fall in love in a very conventional way with the teacher. Um, they call it, in my tradition, they call it unrequited love because you're not going to get that back Yeah. in that
1: way. I was with one, one Rinpoche who was doing a, a retreat and... Someone says to him, "Remember, what, what happens when you fall in love with your guru?" And he said, "You know, the guru is the one person in the world, in the universe, who's dedicated to killing you. <laughs> you know, to get to killing your ego. Mm. You're going to fall in love with somebody, with that person. It's the, it's the But, moment. but
2: having said that, did you not?
1: Feel well, of course, yeah, yeah. You know that this is like just a spectacularly charismatic." There was be? nothing, you know. I wouldn't you rather be there than just like love. You'd rather be there than somewhere else, right? Absolutely. I, for me, it was total. I really didn't want to be anywhere else. I didn't want to do anything else. I just wanted to sit there and stare at him, <laughs> I mean, and that's what we did. He didn't teach formally, you mm-hmm. know. He didn't give lectures and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So we just hung out with him all the time. Just hung out with him, and he would talk to us. He would pet us on the head and throw fruit at us and tease us and talk to us, say things, and he just what happened is he he allowed us little by little he our hearts began to open in a way they had never opened before and we 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 were granted access into the room where unconditional love lives we just walked in the door was open and we couldn't believe it you know but the door was open and so we would allow to walk right in. And we we ourselves he would just sit there. He never changed. You know, he was laughing, joking. We would go into that room and then we would start to freak out, you know, and mm-hmm. we'd leave. We pull we'd actually pull ourselves out of that room. And we I'd be sitting right in front of him and I'd get depressed and I'd start thinking what a piece of shit I am and I'm no good. And I, all I think about is myself, which is all this is and more of that, and see what this is what I mean, and on and on and mm-hmm. on. And then he'd just look at you and he Throw a banana at you, you know, mm-hmm. and laugh, and then you were back in the room. Yeah. And this is how he taught. He loosened up our hearts. Right. And he kept liberating us from our own thought forms, which mm-hmm. we were hopelessly addicted to.
2: Mm. Well, that's, an, that's, of course, another dimension of this that might be interesting to talk about, is the sort of space beyond what uh, our, our thought process, yeah. you know, our discursive mind, as we would say. You know that the, the in in some sense what we w- what we would say in in the, in in the Tibetan tradition is that the guru, if it's a real guru, by the way, and not a, you know not everybody who says yeah. they are necessarily is you know, and and pe- some people who don't say they are might be so. Most of them that I find out don't say they are. Yeah. You know. uh, that's a, always a funny one. But uh, um, you know that the guru we would say <clears throat> is stabilized has achieved stability in the recognition of non-dual awareness. That would be like a sort of fancy way of saying it, but that their mind is settled in a, in a different way than ours. And I think, you know, we're coming in and out, and most of us when we're doing our meditation practice, we notice we're coming in and out of focus, you know. And sometimes we're quite lost, and sometimes we come, you know, back by paying attention to the breath or sense perception or something like that. And we feel somewhat like we're, we're lighting in on the feeling of being present. But I think if you find a real guru, and all the ones I've seen, that they have powerfully stabilized that sensation of being very, very present. And uh, it comes with qualities of, of, uh, interestingly enough, it's not neutral. It it comes with a kind of warmth and a kind of sharpness and clarity, and also can sometimes be mirror-like, you know, reflecting back. Mm -hmm. So I think the experience that KD expressed there with having... When when um, Maharaji left and he, all of a sudden he sort of, you know, reflected back, your own mind is reflected back to you. And mm-hmm. Trungpa Rinpoche sometimes would walk through a room and he would just have like a little exchange with somebody for two seconds. And then he would go and you're going like, <laughs> you know, whatever <laughs> is rolling through your mind, maybe for six months, mm. you know. So he was almost in a different time
1: yeah. continuum. Oh, definitely. You know? Time. You want, time, yeah. time is a whole other thing. Time, you know. Maharaji knew the past the present and the future and in fact Hanuman is called the, the, mm. the, the, the one who dwells in all the three times mm-hmm. at the same time and beyond the times So he was talking about the past the future nobody knew what he was talking about most of the time <laughs> and he talked all the time uh-huh. it was so unusual that way and so special mm. there was no teaching there was no teacher up there greater than you and you know holier than thou and putting on any kind of airs or pretending to be something. He was just Mr. Funky. He was just there with you, you know, hanging out in space and in love. It was just extraordinary.
2: I, I just want to say, because quite a few people have joined us since since I mentioned this, but um, if you're watching in for the first time and you want to participate, what you want to do is go open a second window in your browser and go to facebook.com slash Turn and you will see there a scroll of comments that's happening. And pretty soon we're going to invite you all to you know, generate your comments and send them in and questions, and we'll open the, to a more group kind of um, discussion. Uh, so uh, that's how you could participate. Also then there's uh, a posting there of a link that you can use to see all the comments at once if you prefer. So I just want to mention that to you. If you're watching in the archives, you know, um, you obviously won't be able to introduce your comments, but we'll be reading them so you'll be able to hear at least what people are saying. So um, I think where we pause there for a second is the notion of time um, and maybe a kind of atmosphere of some kind. This is a little more subjective to talk about, but mm-hmm. um, did you have any feeling of like time shifting, the kind of feeling of...
1: There was no time. Okay. you were with Maharaji, there was no time. Time went by, you didn't know whether it was a minute or an hour or a day. You really didn't... You were completely you were you were absorbed in the space and, and you didn't know whether time was passing you didn't know if you were hungry it, it it was just it was an extraordinary experience you know very unusual and so now
2: you know since obviously he's not there to stimulate that in a very physical way for you. Obviously, he could take you there. He could kind of stimulate that. Mm-hmm. Do you find your practice links you with that timelessness in a way?
1: Sure, absolutely. For instance, when I'm chanting, I don't know how much time is going on. Mm. I, I mean, I have an idea that I've been singing for a while. But because time is based on actually recognizing things in, with thought. you know. Mm-hmm. And, and when you're chanting, the whole idea is anything you're thinking, you simply let go of and come mm-hmm. back to the chanting. So anything – and this – that's what that's what starts to break the hold of, of obsessive flow of thought that it has over us. It breaks that glue, and, and we start to feel some some space in there where the, where the thoughts can come. And you know what we love, we think about what we love. You remember when you fell in love? What else did you think about for that mm-hmm. period of time when you're first in love with someone? You mm-hmm. know, you thought about them all the time. Then stuff happens in a relationship which kind of, you know, puts you back into time, puts you back into time. Yeah. But with Maharaji, there was nothing to put you back into time. <laughs> and even now with Maharaji, there's nothing to put you back in time. It's only what it's my only my mm-hmm. own bullshit that pulls mm-hmm. me back into time. Mm-hmm. But he's here. That love is here. That love is in there for everyone. And when you're in that, there's no time. Mm.
2: And, and then uh, maybe we could look for a minute at the, the idea of um, since that's sort of the guru and, and, and devotion to the guru is representing kind of fruition, you know, fruition stage, a yeah. fulfillment of something, you know, yeah. kind of like that. You always felt, you know, um, is part of your experience, but, you know, maybe not being recognized or noticed in that sense of openness and open-heartedness and mm-hmm. timelessness, yeah. which, you know, probably most people relate to as some kind of heart of spiritual quote-unquote, experiences, mm-hmm. feeling of timelessness, feeling of open-heartedness, mm-hmm. feeling of love. Yeah. Those, are, those are really the hallmarks or clarity, you know. So uh, but what about the other dimension where you kind of see this being as representing, you know, somehow the embodiment of, 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 the, of that possibility that we all have? And now you're reflected about yourself and you become much more aware of your own kind of uh, clashes and sure. obstacles yep. and things like that. So how does that work in terms you know, of people, devotion?
1: People yeah. always say to me, oh, it must have been so great to be with him." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was half of the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the other half of the time, it was the worst possible experience mm-hmm. you could have because here you are sitting in the room with love and it's shining on you and you are kicking the rays away. You are f- fighting them. You are punching them. You are rejecting them. You are feeling like cold shit mm-hmm. and you're sitting there and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm. So how does devotion come in there, then? Well, the the thing is that you've had a taste of mm -hmm. what that love is. You know it exists. This is a big thing, you know. Most people don't really know it exists. And so we approach spiritual practice as a way to try to find, connect with something. For me, I I was very blessed to, to, to have a taste of this early in my life. And that saved me many, you know, as the years would go by and my own karmas came to fruition, so much negativity and darkness would come into my life in, in my own heart and mind. But I knew that this existed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I knew this existed and I knew that it was more real than I was, but that I, I lost contact with it and the longing to get back into that place is what helped me burn through all those negative corners.
2: So is that yes. longing devotion too, do you Absolutely.
1: think? Absolutely, it's so. a definite aspect So even, of even
2: in the midst of a, you know, kind of one's own, you could say, unsettling habits and patterns of thought, mind, emotions, and behavior, there's some kind of longing threading its way through of that? Of course, which, uh, if uh, there
1: wasn't any longing, you would never have a reason to, to, to do it, to give up those things, mm-hmm. to let mm-hmm. go of those things. Coming the long is the recognition of what you really want and mm-hmm. the, and the understanding that it's possible mm-hmm. so there's a, an aspect of you know the word that makes us, us all nauseous faith mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. not blind faith <laughs> but yeah. but mm-hmm. faith that that this actually is, and I can find that I've tasted that mm-hmm. even though I feel like shit now I can taste this, I know that it exists, so there must be a way back in
2: and then and then it brings us to the notion of practice. Where in my tradition, you know, people, you do, and it's quite uh, thoroughly engaged with the whole lineage and the whole tradition. Everybody I study with has a, their own guru, and it goes back literally thousands of years. And so you can literally track back lineage yeah. in, in the Buddhist tradition. For mm-hmm. I can track my lineage 1,200 years and name every teacher. Along the way. so these were real people like us. you know, they're not presented as like you know extraordinarily gifted in some way, or who knows. but they're human beings with foibles and with all kinds of you know kind of colorful mm-hmm. you know uh, obstacles to, to to work through or either being too conceptual or, or being too aggressive or whatever, you know whatever the garden variety stuff, you know. And the um, n- the notion of passing that through, we we somehow in my tradition get to meet an extraordinary being that's part that's if you're practicing vajrayana buddhism and you have not met an extraordinary being you actually can't practice it without that you can't do it from books it's completely ear whispered it's 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 person to person it's a direct heart heart to heart direct transmission so it's not something you can just practice out of a book even though the ideas are appealing and cute and whatever you know
1: But you, but those kind of practices can prepare you. You know, you begin to get in the, you're in the ring with your stuff. You're starting to play with, starting to fight with it, starting to pull energy away from it and develop positive uh, qualities. Mm -hmm. You know, and and take energy away from the negativity. I mean, right from the beginning. But at some point, there's,
2: uh, you know, that we talk about the, 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 the hook, the ring of devotion. Um, meeting the, the hook of the guru and mm-hmm. connecting. So yeah. um, it's not so much, and it's important to note, it's not so much that person's going to save you because they're really not going to save you. There's not that idea. It's, in Buddhism, it's a non-theistic idea. That they can't save you. Um, and um, and so a lot of times it's re, one is reflected back. But the link that you have to that being in our tradition is doing practice. And so therefore the practice is very, very important. You know, it's even though you might be in a cave or a retreat cabin or with a group of people, but you're practicing on your own, working on your own mind with the practices given by the teacher and working alone, you know, with that for periods of time. Then you go, go back. You go back to the teacher and he maybe clarifies certain things or inspire, re-inspires you or, or rips you a new one if you're way off, you know, if you become just an egomaniac, a spiritual egomaniac. You know, so um, the practice, it, it becomes the, the connection for each of us to individually continue to connect in that way, even when we don't have the, you know, luxury of being in the presence of people. Yeah. Would
1: yeah, you yeah. say that's similar in some way? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If you want to watch the basketball game, you got to tune the TV to the channel. You can't just turn the television on and, and <laughs> think you're going to be in the right place. You got to keep tuning it to, to watch what you want. If you want, you got to remember to look, you got to remember to what's important in life. You got to remember to let go. Otherwise, because the the, the flow of thought and the tendencies of the mind are just, they don't end. You 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 must get in the game and start doing some practice. There's just no other way.
2: And by the way, friends out there, we are going to watch the game after this. (laughs) (laughs) And see Mr. Red for the Miami Heat. Miami Heat. He's rooting for Miami, and I am rooting for the cooler but kind of sleeker san antonio who's cooler than Dwayne wade come on don't even well it it just you you know we like to say it's all in the proof is in the pudding the proof is going to be in the pudding so um we won't stay online and have that conversation but (laughs) i do want to say i see you know some new people come in online so if you're joining us now i'd like to invite everybody starting now to jump in with us and participate in this conversation we've covered a lot of ground you may have questions about any or all of it or just want to you know uh generate your own comments. Yes, yeah, sure. We just
1: blurted yeah. out. Now we, now if there's some questions about it, there must be because there was no. So formal. to to do that, go to Facebook.com slash David
2: in the second window in your browser and you'll see the, the the stream of comments there. And if you refresh that periodically as I'm doing now, uh so please do feel free now to jump in. Uh and David in Spain. Oh no. Okay. And uh We'll see. Probably some of you have 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 nudged your way in here already. Yeah, we have 41 comments already. Um, okay, Nina. We're going to Nina, of course. Nina. Is, the, is the wonderful and famous Nina Rao, wonderful kirtan singer and Katie's left and right hand. Left <laughs> yeah. hand, right hand, middle hand. If yeah. I, yeah. well, we, I don't know if we will say that, but um, so Nina is uh, asking this. Don't know if you're taking questions, but yes, we are. Would you guys say that devotion is necessary to be in loving awareness? If yes, then if you don't have a guru in a human body, then who is one de- devoted to?
1: Yeah, good question. You want, you question. want to take a shot at that? Um, you know, if they say if guru, God, and self are one. Same thing. The Guru is not outside of us. The Guru is not a human being. When we fall in love, we, we, we when we meet the Guru in a body, it's not the body that's the Guru, it's the love that's the Guru. And where do we experience that love? Over there? No, we experience that love in our own hearts. So, what's necessary is to, to notice where the feelings are. The feelings are in here. and. They're already in there. You don't need someone to turn you on, a person outside of you. Everybody is looking for the same thing and everybody knows what they're looking for. They're looking for that feeling of love, you might call it. And it's just it's kind of laziness on our parts to try to find something outside of ourselves. Believe me, I found something that I that unfortunately I thought it was outside of me, and so I suffered terribly as the you know, when that disappeared. It was not necessary, but it was my karma to go through that. So you know what you're looking for. You know what you want. The longing is already present in you. And it's the longing that's going to lead us to finding the deeper love. Well, and There's another dimension to our question,
2: though, which is interesting, mm-hmm. which is sort of a mm-hmm. practical yeah. level, you know, kind of relative level. Um, and I would just say at that level, at the relative level, To practice Tantric Buddhism, you do have to have a physical living guru at some point. That doesn't mean, I mean, that they move into your house or they live forever. And um, that's called the root guru. And you may have other teachers, too. But in this tradition, if you don't have that transmission directly from a living human being, uh, these particular efficacious practices are not going to really ignite.
1: So that's formal Tantric
2: teaching, but... Um, well, I wanted to say one more thing okay. about it, because if you go back in the tradition, what's interesting and noted by, like in the Kagyu lineage of Tibetan Buddhism, it goes right back, human being, human being, human being. Yeah. But then there's a little funny
1: thing that happens, which is goes yeah. back to Tilopa. Yeah, Tilopa, who nobody knows what kind of being he was.
2: Well, no, Tilopa was a human being, yeah. but his guru was Vajradara, who's a, who a, right. a Sambhogakaya Buddha, who's not like an embodied human being. A, so I think people, that is... That is Always considered the kind of, you know, um, essential element of it is that yeah you're getting direct communication from the world itself in a way. So that's that's a kind of very special kind of transmission. And I do believe in that way that pe- some people, for example, have have that feeling about Jesus Christ mm-hmm. or particular or Muhammad, great teachers that they somehow through time and space they can feel a very special
1: connection with. And and I don't think we're you know we're saying that can't happen. I also a real guru. Who, who was maybe at some time in a body and is not in a body now, it's not limited by that body. They know that they're not the body. And even if the body has dropped off, that doesn't mean they're not present. P.S. This love that we're looking for is already within us. So it's not a question that you need. You may want a guru. You may think you need one, but you don't need. You need to find what's in there already. You know the C, so inner guru. The inner guru is already with you. Mm-hmm. So the other thing is, uh, you say, would you guys say that devotion is necessary to be in loving awareness? Well, I don't think it's a different thing. Devotion and loving awareness are very similar. I don't think they' I think they're the same names for the same thing. Different names for the same thing.
2: Okay, Nina. We can since we're all dear friends and hang out. We can continue that conversation where you went from. Uh, so. We have quite a few new people signing on, and now's a good time if you like to to um, write a question and just go to the the uh, second window in your browser. Go to facebook.com/slash/davidnickton. We have Marzia; she's from Rome, she's a regular, uh-huh. and mm-hmm. quite a few of the regulars. And, and I think David Tevar from Barcelona. Yeah, there you go. So uh, Joe has a question for KD. Joe is a, a meditation student and um, regular, mm-hmm. and he lives in Wyoming. Um, K.D., earlier you spoke of your heart breaking when your guru passed. Do you think that part of the spiritual path is having a stage of darkness that demonstrates the depth of devotion? In a sense, is the super-sadness hitting bottom a
1: recognition that there is true devotion to the path? You know, yes, it happened to me that way, but that doesn't mean it's necessary. I mean, everybody's life manifests very differently. Uh, I know people who did not feel that darkness when Maharaji died. They never felt a loss of him. They never missed him. They felt his presence all the time. They never went through what I went through. So I think for it's certainly, the you know, they talk about the dark night of the soul. And certainly it's a it's a well-known place, you know. It's at the corner of 42nd and 8th Avenue. It's a very well-known place.
2: You know, it's interesting, Katie, that um, when, when you're saying that, I was thinking about the darkest moment I had in this was when I had a really serious, like, field of doubt about Trump uh Rinpoche, uh-huh. and it kind of that it, that undermined my whole my yeah, whole. Of course, yeah, that, feeling, that will, you be, know,
1: yeah, that doubt will certainly will certainly rock your world. But interestingly, how did you work with that? How well, that's yeah, know? that's
2: the interesting thing is that um, I chose to bring it to him. And, and discuss it with him. Oh, really? Yeah. Very yep. courageous. Yeah, I good. just thought, I said, you know, Rinpoche, we, this relationship's not really going to be genuine unless we can do this. Very far out. And um, the thing that happened was it just happened to be coincide with a visit to Karma Chuling, where I was living at the time, mm-hmm. and he spent a week, a lot of time with me, and went through everything he was teaching, and, and sort of, you could say, just because he didn't just go, oh, you know, just... Uh, you know, just do what I say or something like that, that Mm. he really took the time and the care to communicate about it all Mm -hmm. was a model for me. If I'm working with other people, I I go, yes, you, you know, you don't hide it, bring it forward, but respectfully and and, um, Mm -hmm. truthfully and authentically. And then the guru is supposed to meet your mind. And he, totally uh, qualified he didn't have any kind of defense system and he wasn't uh, trying to con in any way mm-hmm. so from that point on I really didn't have any doubt that's great It kind of eradicated but but right before then I was pretty much like going a little bit like what the fuck is this you know <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can say that online can you say what you the fuck no online? you can't say, fuck the fuck <laughs> you can't say so, <laughs> so let's see um Rebecca oh geez my first live talk ever and it's about this <laughs> same anxiety i get before i send you an email or skype is the same way i feel right now bug i love you david <laughs> okay rebecca
1: you see love brings a lot of anxiety it's there not
2: you doubtful. go there you go that's, <laughs> that's funny so let's see i'm just reminding you all
1: that you can do you uh, see the question
2: no, just, no. uh just mariana saying uh mm-hmm. uh
1: buenos we had an earlier question before. Remember the the before we actually started, somebody heard what we were going to talk about and uh, okay. about fa- the statue. Remember that?
2: Oh, that was from actually. Okay, that's good. It was from you know, it's not on the on the scroll here, but somebody had written it earlier. I'm a beginner at this. I'll paraphrase it because I'm can't. a newbie. A newbie. I'm okay, a newbie. Okay, great. Yeah. And what's this devotion all about? Is it, <laughs> is it like, devotion makes me think of like loving a statue. Yeah, loving a statue. So that's you right, know, right. I think. Um, did yeah. you want to say something
1: about that? Did you? I love statues. <laughs> that's what it's yeah, about. i love a lot of statues. I've had intimate relationships with many statues, actually. Um, well, that's that. It's 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 interesting to see how you know all the ways that people feel about these 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 issues, these things. The real issue is: what are we feeling ourselves? Nobody's asking you to be devoted to a piece of stone. Nobody's actually asking you to do anything. It's what you want that's important. What's, what, what, what's missing in your life? What you need to find to be happy in your life. So devotion is just love. It's falling in love. It's falling in love with love. Not with the thing, the object of love, but with the love itself. And and learning to live in that loving presence, which in that love, which is which has qualities of being and presence and space, and, and,
2: and maybe we could say a statue at that point is just a representation of all the things we're talking
1: about. Well, she must be. She's right. talking about India, where people they say do idol worship. Well, it's mm-hmm. not idol worship mm-hmm. like that. It's the belief is that uh, through prayer and 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 different practices, you can bring life. You can make a, an inert stone, for instance, a, 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 a representative of love, so that when you re- worship that stone, you're not seeing the stone, you're not worshiping the stone, you're actually feeling the love in connection. Mm-hmm. So in India, they can do that because their hearts are in a very different shape than our hearts in America. We we fight, we fight love. If, 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 there's so much distrust and so much fear that, we're, but in India they give their hearts very easily in a way, and that's a plus and a minus on some ways too. So, hmm. but it isn't about worshiping stones or statues. It has nothing to do with that.
2: Let's see. There's this one from Patrick. Patrick is writing in. I am um, wondering about how to connect with the Guru in our tradition which, boy, nice to know what that is, but it doesn't really matter. We have a teacher, the head of our lineage, but I haven't felt much connection with him, despite having been in his presence and heard his teachings many times. I continue to study his teachings Mm -hmm. and others in the lineage, but wonder if I'm missing something by not having that connection. It's kind of interesting. uh, Interesting. Yeah, I mean, um, you know... I have a friend who keeps telling me about this boyfriend that she's so in love with, but every time she talks about it, she doesn't have anything really (laughs) compelling to say about him. And I'm going like, you know, what exactly are you uh, pursuing there? So I think, you know, there's this, there's this interesting mixture of what we call prajna or insight, you know, clarity and discriminating awareness and just open heartedness or, you know, kind of thing we're talking about tonight. And, Something must be getting fed or, or one would begin to think like, you know, what am I doing here? So either there's some clarity developing, there's some insight developing, there's some uh, open heartedness developing, there are some qualities that you want to develop that are developing. Otherwise, you know,
1: I, I, I couldn't answer your question. The real connection is not where you think it is. It's not in your thoughts. It, it's, it's an intuitive feeling. And so it might be you're looking in the wrong place for it, you know, that you're looking. Your bandwidth isn't wide enough to feel it. And it also may mean that you're not, you're just not feeling connected. That doesn't mean the teachings aren't going to be useful for you, by the way, because any practice you do is useful and helpful, and and plants seeds of more openness and more connectedness in the future. So you just have to see it. You're, you're, it's obvious from your question that you are missing something. But on the other hand, don't think, don't have some fantasy about that the spiritual path is supposed to be all like, I'm always in love, it's so wonderful, it always feels so great, I'm so connected. It's not like that. It's not like that. It's much deeper than that. It's a deeper, more real understanding that you have in your being about the connection with the path and with the with yourself really. So, yeah. good luck. Yeah,
2: absolutely good luck. And um, there's so many flavors like even if, I think even if you took uh, either of our teachers, different students were magnetized by different qualities of that teacher. For example, Trungpa Rinpoche was a great scholar. He was, you know, extremely brilliant scholar. Mm. He was a great artist Mm. and kind of played with art forms and theater and painting and photography and things like that. And he was a very kind of intuitive, fun person to hang out with, you know. So different people were magnetized. Some people just were magnetized by the kind of scholastic dimension of it. Other people by the kind of hang dimension of it. Um, other people by the creative side. So, you know, um, something, though, there,
1: I think that you want some magnetizing element. There's a question from Trudy. Trudy? Okay, hi, Trudy. Say, so if we have a guru when we are alive... How do do you think the guru is with us when we pass? Well, um, I'll tell you a story. One time, Mr. Tiwari, who was a great devotee of Maharaji, had known him for 30, 40 years, came to the temple where Maharaji was. And from the other side of the courtyard, he starts yelling at Maharaji. Why did you drag me here? I was happy at home. I had no intention to come. Why did you drag me? So Maharaji rose to the occasion. He goes, ha, I drag no one. But we've been together 87 lives. That's why this happened. (laughs) And that was it. So the guru is always, the guru is not a physical body. The guru is your own true nature. That doesn't die. That doesn't, that's not born. It's always who you really are. So if you have a real guru, a guru never lets go of your hand, no matter, even if you let go of his. He used to say that to me. He said, why do you run away from me? You know, why do you run away? I don't run away. Yes, you run away, but he has never let go of my hand. Even if I've let go of his and run in the other direction, he's never let go of me. The real guru never. You, if you're with him now, you've been with them before, and you'll be with them again.
2: And just really specifically, Trudy, I have heard it heard it said in in, in um, Buddhist tradition that if you do. If you are dying, it's very helpful to think of your teacher if you have that kind of relationship, and uh, even even in the sort of bardo experience, that um, you can you can try to bring your mind to, to that to that being. So we'll have to see. You know, unfortunately, nobody comes back and I'm reports sure. on that particular well, issue. So um, I want to read one from Deb Star Divine, who's a regular. Uh, hi, K.D. I have to say you have one of the most beautiful, most moving voices I have ever heard. Thank you. What role does devotion play in your singing? Thank you for everything and for being here today.
1: So the question is, what role does devotion play in your singing? Well, it's really it's the juice of the singing itself. You know, I mean, the practice of chanting is. Is to simply chant, and for me, at least the way I approach it. You see, there are millions of ways of approaching this, but when I approach, I don't want to get caught in any uh, manipulation, emotion manipulation, or contriving or creating pictures in my mind that I'm singing to. I don't want to, because any club that would let me in, I don't want to join. See, I, I want to. I want what's underneath all that. I want the real thing. So simply, I sing, and when I notice I'm not paying attention or I'm thinking about the things, I bring myself back to the chanting over and over and over again. And what happens is the quality of the moment begins to change. And the the love the loving presence starts to become more you become more aware of the loving space in which we all exist this vast presence that's out of outside of which there's nothing and you you're sitting more deeply in that because it's only your thoughts and your emotions and all that obsessive stuff that pulls you away from here pulls us away from here so as we let go of that we fall into a deeper Awareness of that loving presence and the devotion and the longing to be in that space is what forces us to do more practice and forces us to, to arrange our lives to leave more time and space to be in that place, in that loving presence, which is within.
2: Um, so, Jenny Pavlovsky is saying, can you guys do a workshop together? That would rock. We've done yeah,
1: yeah. Then we should well, do. We will do.
2: Yeah, I, I have a second role. I'm, I'm sort of like, you know, <laughs> in in with the Buddhist thing. But with this guy, I'm the guitar player and the record <laughs> producer. So it's like we and we do rock. I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and that's, you know, that's what's wonderful about this friendship and this relationship is that we have, we have so many different dimensions. But we've also we, done some know,
1: workshops together.
2: You know where we where we traded off. Yeah, good. Yeah, okay. So we'll that is more. that's possible. We'll we'll do, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do that, and then um, we also went to different high schools together, which is kind of a very funny part of our relationship. We've and a,
1: and the same basketball camp. Separately.
2: Yeah, I, I, it's it, it's a little <laughs> weird to tell you the truth, but it's fun. Um, hey, there's Claudia. Hi, Claudia. Where's Claudia? There she is. Hey, right Claudia.
0: There.
2: KD, do you think you've found a way to love all beings the way that Baba loved
1: all? Yeah, uh, you know, if he wants me to. Oh, it just started raining just right then. Started raining. Um, when I, you know, there's there's a line in the Bhagavad Gita. He said, "When he who sees me in all and all in me, never leaves me, and I never leave him. This is the highest yogi." So, you know, on the path of love is very interesting. In other words, I want to find Maharaji, right? That's who I love. And I know that he lives in everybody as as their true nature. So my job is to get in there and peel away who I think they are and who they think they are so I can find him there, here. That's one way of saying it. And whether I'll ever be successful at that, you know, God knows.
2: But I think, Katie, you're making a really interesting point here, which is that the devotion, in that case, is the bridge towards finding that experience in all beings, just what, like, what Claudia is asking Absolutely. for. Absolutely. And when we come up short on that, and we feel like grouchy or, you know, kind of cutting somebody off, this is where guru yoga, the devotional practice, is you mm-hmm. actually, in Buddhist tradition, you actually visualize the guru sitting on the top of your head. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and he would never do that, you know. So there's this conflict. It's almost like, you know, here's yeah. the guru saying, you know, what are you doing, Dave? It's like this is, you're just giving into the kind of like, you know, kind of very narrow state of mind here and very self-serving. and So it's a constant reminder uh, to, to hold the guru in one's mind if, if you feel that this person has achieved what you're, what you're talking about, which is loving all beings. And I think it's a sure sign of the great gurus I've seen. They actually do love all beings. This
1: is a deep one. Okay, go ahead. You want to read it? The Christy Jane Flower. What what about the connection between service and devotion? It's a good question. Very good question. Um, Maharaji, we asked Maharaji, how do you find God? He said, serve everybody. What? You know, what do you mean? Serve everybody. Because we didn't say that. We just like serve everybody. You mean serve people. We said, how do you raise Kundalini? He said, feed people. You know, he was completely down here to earth. He was nowhere else. He wasn't like up in the sky. He didn't say go meditate for 20,000 hours a day. He knew he couldn't meditate. So he said to serve people, don't think of yourself. Don't think about yourself all the time. Don't do everything revolving around your own personal satisfaction. Think about other people. The less you think about yourself, the less unhappy you're going to be because the less unhappy thoughts you're going to have. Because you're not thinking about yourself. You know, they just, this thought, as you serve others, as you start to consider others' happiness as important as your own, then you begin to find that place where you're no longer only concerned with stuffing your face with food and watching other people starve. Okay. The, the, the difference between you and other people as a cause of happiness Changes so service becomes devotion, becomes devotion to that love.
2: So, KD, you probably remember this, but there was an episode of Twilight Zone, hmm. and these aliens landed, and it seemed like they were they were bringing everybody onto the spaceship uh-huh. to to uh, take them to this beautiful place, and everybody was buying into it, the whole thing, and, and their whole motto was to. They found the humans found a book called To Serve Man. And that was that was the book. So they thought, oh, these people come here to serve us, you know. And then actually <laughs> when, the, when the last person gets on the spaceship, this guy comes running up with the book and they finally translate it. And he said, it's a cookbook. <laughs> it's a cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, you know, That's great. I guess, you know, service is um, in – has its good
1: uh, good aspects and its
2: maybe, you know, uh, other other dimensions. And I think, you know, one thing we said is, you know, if you're too eager to serve people, sometimes that also
1: has a weird twist to it, you know? You're, yeah. You know what I mean? By yeah. helping others, by serving others, you're not hurting. You can't be hurting yourself. Mm, that's one dimension for sure. You cannot hurt yourself. You the, Because the the buddha said if there's one person in the whole universe that's worthy of your love and affection it's yourself with westerners you see we're so neurotic our neurosis immediately go back to that yeah uh, our our neurosis immediately takes over the, the 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 words of the practice and but but twists it so that we're using the practice to hurt ourselves well and then there's also the notion of sometimes of
2: we think we're serving people, but we're actually sort of um, t- creating codependent kind of energy. So yeah. that that's something also. That's yeah. what Trungpa was, you used yeah. to call idiot, uh, idiot, compassion. Compassion. idiot so, compassion. So, so yeah. all these things are
1: great. But genuine
2: great. service great. is a beautiful thing to see. Sure. And, yeah, and definitely course. part of the devotional model. Um, let's see. Anna, you want to say hello to Anna? Anna, hi. We're both saying hello to you, Anna. I think Lalita's there too. Hey. Great. Really? Yeah, she's in, in L.A. Okay. Oh, hey. A um, lot of friends online. Nice to see all of you. Um, maybe we have time for one more question, um, then we'll we'll wrap it up. So uh, let's see. Tell me if you see one that looks particularly juicy, KD. They don't come in any particular order. Oh, Marie, how about giving Marie the last laugh here? Okay, Marie. Yeah. We love you, Marie. Both of us. Suck it to us, Marie. What do you okay, got? Let's see. A little off topic. Oh, Oops. There it, there it
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> a little off topic, but oh, you devoted guys. When, when, or, when or when will
1: you two give, give us, us a, a workshop?
2: workshop? We're giving it right now. Yeah, this is it. So interesting and helpful. Hare Krishna Buddha. Okay. Well, that wasn't a question, <laughs> so good, we, we, love we you. appreciate we you saying you. that, and that's nice of you to say. And then let's see if um, if there's one we haven't. Um, there's a bunch of them that are not questions, so let's see if there's one more question that we can take, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, so Jesse has a question there. Oh, this is a good one, too. This would be a good one to end on. Uh-huh. Oh, there's no quick answers to this. Yeah, but we'll take a shot. So it's Jesse is saying, good evening, D.N. and K.D. The role of grace seems to have played a big role in your spiritual life, as it does for most. Looking back, can you comment on how grace has brought you here? Hmm. (laughs) And helped you cultivate devotion. So K.D., that's a topic, interestingly enough, I always ask K.D. about grace. That's like kind of a a mind twister for me a little bit because I'm not completely sure what it means. So why don't you speak about that first?
1: One thing they say about grace is that the nature of grace is that you don't deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> you can't earn grace. It's, mm. Grace is a spontaneous flow from the universe. that removes obstacles, it make helps you on your path, helps you in your, on your way. Um, <laughs> uh, Around Maharaji, we felt we were living in grace, in grace, in in that grace. Because the blessing of of tasting that love, of, of knowing that love is real, of knowing that it, it can be found in the world, was so extraordinary. You know, it's just you felt blessed, blessed. You know, and there was no question of deserving it. And, mm-hmm. and nobody deserves and nobody doesn't deserve but it's not on that level.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't think it's grace is something that's, you know, distributed from on high, mm-hmm. you know, down to us low beings, you know. Grace I think I think the universe is in a state of grace. But just like we are naturally, we have buddha nature within us and we're not aware of it. I think the universe may also have a lot of pollution <laughs> and not be aware of the graceful Mm. Aspect of itself, so those are moments when that pops up and things change. Your perspective changes, and you get a new way of seeing things, or you you know something from with intuitively that you didn't know before. It just came to you, and it changes the way you approach your life, or your or your practice, or the way you see yourself or other people. Uh, if you want to know the bottom line truth, I. I haven't done anything, and the way I see it, you might think I'm doing something, but the way I see it, Maharaji's singing, Maharaji's dragging my carcass around, Maharaji's, I open my mouth and his his voice comes out, this is the way I see it, I, you know, I don't take any of this personally, I mean, no, of course I'm not a finished being, so there's parts of me who, that still have plenty of ego. But as far as what people feel when I sing, it's all Him. It, it's 100% Him. And that's the beauty of it. And this is grace. And the fact that I can uh, even just appear to play this role is, is is His grace and His blessings and His love and compassion on all beings and anyone who comes in contact with it. So.
2: so maybe just want to add one, one thought to that, which is, I'm not a well. No, of course we do. We do talk about grace of the grace of the guru in, in the Buddhist tradition, but the word um, that comes to mind as a sort of interesting uh, extension of it, counterpoint, is a word called tendril in Tibetan, tendril, which means auspicious coincidence. Which is kind of taking it away from the idea of it's coming from one place to another place. Mm-hmm. You know, from a higher place to a lower place. Mm-hmm. It's just in the fabric of the whole thing, and. There is no doubt, in my experience, that when the guru energy is present, and of course that is very strong when the actual physical teacher is present, that the incidence or the atmosphere of mood of tendril goes way up. And uh, if you're around a being like Karmapa or Kense Rinpoche or Chung Rinpoche, or somebody like that, it's uh, almost like you're living in a pregnant atmosphere that's charged with uh, with coincidence, which even which negative situations seemingly quote unquote are full of of kind of potentiality and meaning and opportunities to learn something, and it, the whole thing's accelerated, and certainly connections are made, and uh, there's a feeling of being very of sacred world and appreciation.
1: I also, I think, I think we can draw grace towards us with the intensity of longing. I mean, mm. really. Well open, that really answers the question open okay, ourselves to to our our longing f- to be in that presence to be in that love to feel that love to be to know and the more you get in contact with that longing and that need that spiritual need and that spiritual hunger the more you draw that to you and in my life in the darkest moment of my life, you know, Maharaja came and changed everything. He changed everything. He changed every. He changed the way I saw myself, the way I experienced myself, the way I experienced the world, the way I experienced chanting, what I was doing, and made it possible for me to continue because I had quit. You know, I had walked away from chanting after about nine months because I knew I wasn't pure enough to do it the right way. and. I I went to India and I said, I'm talking to him inside. This is, you know, 20 years after he left the body. I said, You have to change this. You have, there's something in my heart. You must change this. Only you can do this. I can't do it. And if you don't do it, there's no way I can go on singing. I mean, this is how crazy I am. I'm sorry. That's Mm -hmm. me. And he did. He did. He did it. He changed it. He did something. He showed me the way things are. And I had nothing to fight after that. (laughs) It's like, oh, okay, it really is that way. Okay, fine. You are doing all this. It has nothing to do with me. So that's the way it looks to me. And uh, yeah, so good note to end on. Good note to
2: end on. So, I think it's a Q flat. Q flat. It's a it's a C sharp and B natural. Be diminished. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, it was a great honor and privilege for us to spend this I'm virtual Marie time in with you.
1: I'm Marie in Texas.
2: And um, thank you all for tuning in. And I want to thank KD here for uh, joining in the, the NUJI hour
1: here. NUJI OM NAMO NUJI NARAI swaha. That's the mantra, the secret mantra. I just gave it to you. There you go. And, um, uh, you know, we
2: both want to urge you to to keep Keep your heart in good shape and don't um, give up. Don't give up. And um, lots of love. And um, we'll 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 see you all soon. Uh, and okay. um, take care.
1: Namaste.